think he's only putting his shelf up, so I don't think it should take too long. <laughs> oh, he's doing it in this room as well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so today we have someone who has travelled the world busking as he goes. He's basically a nomad, but he always comes back to Huddersfield. Please welcome to the show, Pablito Clavito, Diavolo Dave, or as his mum calls him, David Steedman. <laughs> yes, all those adoring fans. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I usually start with, where were you born, what's the area like, and uh, what was family life like when you were growing up there? Yeah, unfortunately I was born on the wrong side of the Pennines, born in Preston, um, but moved over. My mum's from Doncaster, she says the reason that we were, I have a twin brother by the way, so the reason that we were born in Preston, in Lancashire, was because she couldn't hold on quite long enough to get back over the Pennines. Um, <laughs> my, my childhood, um, I don't really remember Preston a whole lot, but I grew up in Wakefield, we moved over to Wakefield when I was seven I think six or seven so I grew up in Wakefield um, and it was just standard you know I disliked school but I had good friends there I went I did my work I was a, a straight C student uh, nothing nothing special short and chubby um, and now now lanky and chubby and uh, what did your parents do for a living um, well my my parents divorced when I was very young, actually, so I grew up with my stepdad, who was um, an accountant and moved, moved from firm to firm, working uh, on, on the board as the accountant of some quite big companies, but manufacturing companies, nothing that you would, you would really know off the top of your head. And my mum, she was working as a social worker. Um, she worked in the field for quite a few years and then decided to go back to university. She realised there was no literature really covering her field of expertise, so she decided to go and write some. So she went to do her PhD, um, and then off the back of that got a job as a university lecturer, and just last year she retired. I think you went to Kettlethorpe High School. That's correct. And when you left there, what did you do? Um, I went to Wakefield College for two years and studied some things that I can't remember, business and I wasn't really into college. Again, I was a very average student there. I enjoyed the social aspect of it and then I left college and decided not to go to university. I decided to work instead, which I think we should really persuade children to do more, you know, like an 18 year old really generally doesn't know what they want to do with their life. I don't think university directly after college is the best way. I think people should go and explore the world a bit, maybe travel a bit or at least work a bit to understand the value of pounds. Um, <laughs> so I decided not to go and I, um, I was working in a restaurant for a bit. I met my girlfriend of the time and moved to Spain with her. So I moved, to, I, I moved abroad, lived there for a couple of years and then came back and realised that I knew what I wanted to study at university, which was um, language. I really enjoyed learning Spanish um, and learning more about English language as I learned Spanish language. So that's what I decided to go and do at university as a, as a mature student. When you said you did some work, was that when you were working at the juggling shop? At I worked at various things. I worked in, in um, a well-known chain of pizza restaurants. Um, <laughs> <I remember. laughs> And I worked in a in a circus shop in Leeds, which was 
um, possibly the best job I ever had sitting in the shop selling kites and circus props and learning circus tricks from from the customers that came in. Was that when you got the name Diablo Dave? I'd had the name before actually. I moved to Huddersfield when I was 18 so I consider Huddersfield my hometown. When people ask where I'm from Huddersfield is my answer and when I first moved over here there was a very big circus scene. Lots of people were into it. There were gatherings of 30 people sometimes all doing different props. I was the only one really that that had a good level of skill on the Diablo in that group and everybody loves a bit of alliteration don't they so <laughs> Diablo Dave that's what they all call me. It's because there were a few Daves everybody knows Daves. I had long hair at the time. I was what people might have described a bit of a hippie. People say oh, have you seen Dave? Which Dave? Dave with long hair? Which Dave with long hair? Hippie Dave with long hair? Which hippie Dave with long hair? It's much easier just to say Diablo Dave because that was my distinguishing feature at that time. I've heard there's some good stories to tell about 475, the student house you lived in. <laughs> How do you know about 475? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, that house was wild. Uh, I feel I do actually feel a bit embarrassed sometimes thinking back at that house. I lived there with my brother. Um, and another friend, um, various friends over the time actually. But yeah, the house was dirty. It was what you would imagine a decrepit student house to be. We had pot noodle wrappers on the floor and crisp packets on the floor and it was dirty. We found worms on the washboard one time. (laughs) You know, we, we played a lot of PlayStation at that time as well and the only two clean spots a floor in the living room were the two spots where we would sit on the floor in front of the the PlayStation um, playing Tekken and Puzzle Fighter until late at night. We had some big parties as well. The house it was a Georgian, a standard Georgian house with high ceilings and kitchen and living room downstairs and two two bedrooms and then a tiny, tiny room that probably was never intended as a bedroom, maybe a cot room. Um, so there were three of us living there. We had big parties and the house would be full and the backyard would be full as well. We must have easily had 50 people in the house at some times, maybe more. And the parties would go on throughout the night. We would generally see sunrise. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you moved to Spain and uh, what did you do while you were there? Yeah, she she's Spanish. Um, so that's why I started to learn. There's really only two main reasons to learn a language. One is to, to make more money and the other is for love. Uh, so I went for the, for the second option. Um, so we moved over together. She was from, she is from Catalonia in the north of Spain and she'd never seen the south of Spain. So we decided to move there. So we moved to Malaga because she had a friend there where we could stay while we got ourselves on our feet. We could stay for a month or two. And she turned out to be OCD uh, and it was terrible. The house had to be spotless clean and I'm just not that person and neither neither is Monse, uh, my girlfriend. So she speaks very good English um, and she was teaching English as her job, um, just private classes to whoever was there. It's very easy to advertise your services in Spain Everybody puts posters up for their service with their with their phone number on. Um, people really don't advertise in local ad papers. They just go out in the street and put posters everywhere in the street. So she found people to study English with her very easily. And I thought I would give circus a go, uh, busking. So I was on 
on the streets of Malaga doing my Diablo and, and balls and I got a routine together. So I had about a half hour show that I would do every Friday and Saturday and then maybe one of the one or two other days throughout the week. And it was good, it was very seasonal in summer um, and springtime when the tourists were coming. It was very good money, very good money. And they uh, through the festivals as well, they have various artistic festivals and, and cultural festivals in Malaga. And they were very good times to make money. Then in winter it dropped off a bit, but just enough, just enough to cover the rent and to, to be able to go out, buy some drinks, whatever. The, cost of living is very cheap over there already anyway so so yeah that's what i were doing we pulled our money together and just lived day to day in in spain for a few years and tell us about the little mishap you had while struggling diablo on the street so in christmas time they string these lights across the main street and one of the little tricks to do with the diablo everybody wants to see you just throw a diablo high in the air you know you can do some crazy tricks with diablo but People always ask, how high can you throw it? And it's frustrating because that's the basic trick. That's the first trick that everybody learns. But it was a good trick to draw in a crowd. People like to see the Diablo go high up in the air. I started to try and throw the Diablo over this fairy lights that are strung across the, across the street. And it hit, it landed on top of the Christmas light, the Diablo. And because it's spinning, it just shot off. It shot off to the, to the right. Um, and the, the street was packed. It was a full, busy street. It was like the main street in any town or city in Europe, you know. It was the, a walking street as well. It was just fully packed. And I saw the Diablo shoot off. I threw my sticks down, my Diablo sticks down on the floor and just ran. Ran looking up, uh, looking up and keeping one eye forwards as I meandered through the, through the crowd. And the Diablo was falling and I was just a bit far away. So I, I reached out at full stretch and caught the Diablo in the air. It must have been about two or three inches away from, from striking an old lady on the shoulder. And she never knew. I never said anything. I, I plucked the Diablo from the air, hid it <laughs> into my chest and walked back up the street towards where, where all my other stuff had been left like nothing had happened and I got away with it but that was the last time I ever tried that trick in the streets <laughs> I wasn't risking that again so as as well as your juggling talent you're famous for your long distance bike trips and this isn't like just coast to coast in England was your first trip from Granada Spain to Huddersfield and do you have any particular stories to tell from that trip no my first long distance trip was from Barcelona to Malaga following the coast. This is after I'd moved back to England and in my first year summer holiday at university, I'd gone back to see a friend in, in Barcelona and then I had a few months. So I thought I'm just gonna cycle the coast. I wanted to see more of that coast, actually more of uh, Catalonia and more of um, Valencia and Murcia as well. I had another friend actually from university um, who lived in, in Murcia, so I went to stay with him for a while. Uh, and then from there I carried on to, to Malaga and stayed for a, a couple of weeks in Malaga. That was the first trip I did. As part of my degree, I studied for one year in Granada, which is the most beautiful city in all of Europe, I think, in my opinion. 
but then I, I, I was going to um, the EJC, European Juggling Convention in Toulouse. And with three other friends from Granada, we set off cycling to Toulouse. And then from Toulouse, I cycled the rest of the way back to Huddersfield alone. The funny thing is I got all the way and I got to Manchester and my bicycle broke in Manchester. The crank fell off, it just fell off. Um, and annoyingly it fell off after a boy racer had shot past me um, and stopped at a traffic light and I caught up to the traffic light and I put myself in the middle of the road so that he couldn't shoot past me again. And I set off at the traffic light and just as I pushed onto the crank, onto the pedal, the crank fell off and I stumbled in front of the boy racer and I had to stagger to the, to the curbside. And I was actually going to see some friends in Manchester. There was a big party going on, so, um, a joint birthday party. So I was going to go to that and this was on the Friday night and I was going to arrive back to Huddersfield on the Saturday. But obviously my crank had fallen off, so I, I couldn't cycle back. And the party went on till the early hours and I was extremely hungover the next day. Um, and I was thinking, how can I get back? I don't want to not cycle to Huddersfield after cycling all the way from Granada. It's, it's just stupid. There was another three hour cycle to do to finish the whole journey after everything. I was thinking I could sellotape or gaffer tape my foot to the one working pedal and just have one pedal going. Um, but I thought that was a silly idea. What happens when I get to a hill? I can't really go up a hill with one foot strapped to the bicycle. So I thought I could use it as like a, an old school velocipede without, um, without the pedals and just push it along on the flats, push it up the hill and sit on it back down the hill and uh, back to Huddersfield. But my hangover was too great. So in the end, what happened is I got a, uh, a takeaway from uh, a local, a Chinese takeaway in near Piccadilly Gardens. I ate that, I fell asleep for a few hours in Piccadilly Gardens and then I took the train over to Huddersfield um, and I arrived, I arrived back maybe about three hours late for my welcome back party. But then about two weeks after I'd fixed the bike up, I loaded it all up with my bags again, packed it as if I were on my bike ride, took the train back to Manchester and then cycled back from Manchester so I did complete the journey in the end. <laughs> A man of principle. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't, you can't finish three hours before the end. <laughs> You're not one of these cycling losers with all the Lycra stuff. Do you have to train for these long journeys that you do? You no, know, you really don't have to. The last journey, I've just come back. Well, I say just, it's nearly a year now that I got back to the UK. My latest cycle trip was Malaysia from Kuala Lumpur, known as KL. KL is Kuala Lumpur. Um, from KL back to Huddersfield. I was living in KL for a while with a, um, another friend of mine from Huddersfield. And we decided to travel back together by bicycle. And I'd done some cycling. I cycle around. I like running. So I am quite sporty. I'm quite athletic. Um, but she isn't at all. Uh, and you just get fit by doing a, a journey like this. Many people told us, oh, I could never do such a thing. I'm not fit enough. It's nonsense. You get fit by doing it. You know, anybody can do such a journey if you give yourself time. It took us 14 months to do the journey. If you take four years, you still do the journey. You know, it doesn't take anything away from it. You just get fit as you do it. 
So no, no training. We ate cake. <laughs> and how many miles is that? Um, I don't know. It's about 12,000 12, or 13,000. I can tell you in kilometres we did um, 17,500 kilometres. <laughs> I dipped in and out of your blog as you were... Because you were writing a blog the whole time you were doing this trip. Yeah, it it's not finished still. <laughs> the blog finishes in... A, in Den Haag in Holland. Yeah. We never wrote past that. I will one day. One day I will finish the blog. Uh, posted some beautiful pictures of the places you visited. Which country was your favourite? It's impossible to pick a favourite single country, but in no particular order. I can list a top three, but probably will extend to a top five. Um, Thailand is a very easy country to cycle as a tourist. I would recommend if somebody wants to go far away and cycle a country. Thailand is a brilliant place to start. The food is very cheap. Um, the people are very polite. The roads are very calm compared to Vietnam and some other countries in Southeast Asia. And the camping is very easy. We were wild camping for most most of the journey. And in Thailand, um, temples, Buddhist temples are like corner shops in England. They're everywhere. And you can just camp in the grounds if you ask for permission we were never rejected um permission to camp there so thailand is a very nice country to cycle that's definitely up there for the top three um i thought that uzbekistan was beautiful as well we got to the desert of um eastern uzbekistan in springtime and i was shocked with how much life there was there there were so many flowers and birds and I've never seen so many ladybirds in one place before. It was crazy. But also because it's the centre of the Silk Road, the old Silk Road. So you feel the history. The history is there everywhere. And the, the architecture is beautiful. And Uzbekistan was the only country where everybody we met said that the people of Uzbekistan are good people. The people of my country are good people. You know, everybody else was like, just be careful of the people from this country region or be careful from people from that region anywhere that sort of um, ends with the word stan All people think stands. oh no like war and danger and stuff like this that. is it and <laughs> we we stayed with a guy there's um, a, a platform like um couch surfing but for cycle tourists specifically in fact i've got the t-shirt on it's not through <laughs> design but and this one's from thailand these guys were crazy um it's called warm showers the platform for cycle touring um and we met a guy through there in Tashkent. We stayed in his house in Uzbekistan. And he said, yeah, it is a shame. Uzbekistan has just opened up in the last couple of years for tourism before it was very closed. But now it's very open, very free. You get one month visa-free entry on a British passport. And you need to go before the tourism takes over, really, while it's still, still pure. But he said, Uzbekistan, you know, it's got a Z in it and it ends with a Stan. <laughs> People are wary of countries like that. But no, it was beautiful. Um, and I think another, another country that I need to mention is Georgia, um, bordering Russia and, uh, and Armenia and Turkey and Azerbaijan. It's phenomenal. It's the birthplace of wine. They they claim wine. 8,000 years of uninterrupted culture of winemaking. Um, very, very good food. Lots of fresh cheese, lots of walnuts and pomegranates. Very good wildlife. Eagles, they still have bears and wolves running around there. Beautiful mountains. 
very generous people. People kept giving us wine. We were carrying, at one point we were carrying like three liters of wine and, and um, half a liter of cognac just given to us for free and it's all homemade as well and it's high quality very good people very nice i and the most incredible national dance as well oh. georgian ballet it's incredible yeah georgia is a place to go uzbekistan thailand probably top three your top five top five let's go on from there i mean malaysia i was living in malaysia for for two and a half years almost and I think it's a beautiful country, gorgeous islands. The politics leads, leaves a lot to be desired, but <laughs> doesn't it everywhere? But yeah, Malaysia is a very nice place to be. Good people, nice mix of people as well. Different cultures. It's a bit of a bit of a melting pot of culture. Um, take one more. We were we were extremely surprised with um, Azerbaijan. We knew nothing about it before we went. But I think it's probably the best bread in the world, Azerbaijan. Again, very nice people and beautiful scenery. Yeah. And then all the other countries we went through. <laughs> you can't pick a favourite. Turkey was great as well. Good food. Yeah, I went to Istanbul last year. Istanbul's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, that's where East and West meet, isn't it? Well, I think a lot of people think of it as being like a very poor like maybe dirty sort of place but it's it's very sort it feels like a european city doesn't it, it really does yeah. yeah i was surprised to see to see ladies in low-cut tops and short skirts you know i thought it's, um it was going to be a lot more conservative than it actually is but no it does seem pretty free again the politics leaves a lot to be desired yeah. in turkey but yeah it could be any city yeah, in like, europe yeah. really Wikipedia's blocked, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, you can't go on Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm sure it's Wikipedia. Yeah, we were we were shocked um, in China. Actually, we came through China, and we were shocked at really the amount of censorship. Without a VPN, you can't use WhatsApp. You can't use Google Maps. You can't use Facebook, obviously. And nothing. You can't use anything. They've got the whole platform. They've pretty much got their own internet in China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So you're doing these. These really long bike rides, how do you cope with the stress of being miles from home when things go wrong, such as bike failure or missing a train? I'm quite handy with bikes. I was with a friend of mine, Ellie, um, who is and always will be and remains platonic, 100%. Nothing ever happened, though people always asked. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were a good team. She's very good at planning. I'm not. Uh, so any paperwork that we needed to get in order, she was on. And I'm pretty good at fixing things and and bodging jobs together and um, you know being the being the angry man sometimes you know like getting people away from us. Uh, so teamwork helped us a lot actually. The 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 biggest problem we had was missing a boat. Uh, we crossed over the Caspian Sea and we arrived just a, something like twenty minutes late for the boat. So we had to wait another another day and a half before the next boat but we just went and camped off somewhere near the near the coast so it was fine i can be quite a stressed traveler if i need to get an airplane i'm there usually three hours before you know and then just sit bored for a few hours and we had to get to um to Mannheim in germany to see kieran and you can buy a ticket in germany you use local trains and you can use it for the whole day until 3 a.m., which is when the new day starts on the trains in Germany. So you can effectively get from one side of Germany and back again for 35 euros. So we, we got one of these tickets 
to to meet up with Kieran before the weekend. I think we had about 200 kilometers to cover, which is two day cycle for us really going fast. But we weren't gonna make it in time. So we thought we'd take the train and we had to get there on Friday before seven o'clock because he was going away for Friday night and coming back on Saturday morning. So if we got to, to Mannheim before, we could pick up his key and stay at his house overnight while he was away. Um, so we had to take five different trains, but it's like a chain, you know, you get one train and then you connect to a different train because it's all just local services. Um, and the first train was fine. The second train was fine. And then the third train was delayed. So we missed that train. Uh, we missed the, 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 the connecting train from there. Then we had to go to the information and find another train and then that train was delayed and I, by the end of it I was like, ah, we, we need to get there for seven o'clock, we need to get there. And we had to make one connection and we had about four minutes to get from one platform to another. Um, but with our bikes as well, our bikes were, we were carrying about 30 to 35 kilos on our bikes. So that's a lot to carry up steps. And so we were doing it in uh, lifts um, and I was shouting at Ellie like, Come on, Ellie, come faster. We got two minutes to get this train. It's like, all right, Dave, it's fine. Look, it's there in the distance. It's coming into the station. We're going to make it. It's like, Hurry up, we can't miss this train. And she, yeah, she shouted at me and brought me into line. She realized then that, that it's much better to travel with me by bicycle than it is by train. <laughs> <laughs> and while you were traveling, did you have any, did you find yourself in any sort of dangerous situations? Not really, no. Um, the most dangerous, never with the people. People only ever treated as well. Um, that's what I learned, that people in the world are generally good people. Um, the roads of Vietnam are extremely hectic sometimes in the, in the cities and on the main highways. People don't know how to use horns, so they use them all the time. Uh, it's just very noisy. Um, there's no such thing really as um, doing regular MOTs. So all of the traffic is spewing out thick smoke and it's just not very nice cycling conditions. Possibly the worst road or the worst stretch of cycling was entering Bangkok. There's no way to do it unless you're on highways. And that was awful. That was like cycling along the M25, I think around London. Like it was awful, the worst stretch of road ever. Um, but other than that, no, we didn't have, we heard a bear. We got very scared because we heard a bear when we were camping on the beach in Turkey and very scared at that moment, but nothing came of it. I think the worst thing, I, I didn't feel scared, but I felt oppressed was in Xinjiang province in the, in the west of China, which maybe you've heard about the Uyghur Muslims in China who are in big inverted commas, getting re-educated in China to not be Muslim anymore. It's crazy, the amount of surveillance there. You just watched all the time. There's a lot of cameras in China anyway, but in this province, Xinjiang, even more. All the parks have razor wire around the perimeter, so you can't get into the park unless you, you need to submit your passport. You need to show your ID before you can go in. We went to a to a Carrefour, like a hypermarket in China, in Xinjiang, and we got taken to the police station to register our passport, um, to prove what hotel we were staying in. 
um, to really make him believe that we'd entered China by bicycle. It's like, <laughs> what plane did you come in on? No, 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 by bicycle. You came by bus then? No, 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 we cycled across the border, bicycle. Where are you going? Next to Kazakhstan. What bus? No, no, we're cycling. Yeah. So that was quite funny. But yeah, the amount of like facial recognition to get into buildings there is a big thing. And China has um, a social credit score, which you should really look into. Um, it's pretty pretty scary, really. You know, you, you have a score and your, your rating goes down if you've been jaywalking or if you've been out drinking for two nights, your rating goes down. Your rating goes down if you're hanging around people whose rating is already low. And and once your rating gets below a certain point, you can't fly to places. And then below a certain point more, you can't take trains. So you're limited to buses. And Yeah, but on the flip side, China, the people there in, in China are just wonderful. Very nice, very kind, very generous. China's beautiful, the, the countryside. Yeah. So to answer your question, no, there wasn't very many dangerous moments i didn't feel scared we felt scared sometimes at night camping in certain areas because what if somebody came and found us but people walked past our tent a few times and they shine the light they have a look and they just walk on about their day you know asia is different to europe really and then when we got into europe we found camping pretty easy in most places but once you get to germany to holland and to belgium it's a lot more difficult um, we started to have to pay rather than um, risk having a fine. But no, no, the people are wonderful in the world. Yeah, well, you you got given all that free wine that you told us about. Mm. What other acts of kindness did you experience while you are on this trip? Coming back to the stands, the stand countries, Kazakhstan means literally the, the land of the wanderer, land of the traveller. And the traveller in Kazakhstan, in Uzbekistan, um, in all of the stand countries... The traveler is like a king, like a god, you know, people want to look after you as a traveler. So we were invited into people's houses. It seemed like every night we were invited into somebody's house and Ellie and I as strangers, people would say, come, come to my house. And it was unfortunately, most of the time it was after we'd already packed, uh, built up the tent and got all our things in after a long day cycle. We couldn't be bothered packing down the tent to move to somebody's house. But in, in China, in China, we got given um, free meals in restaurants a few times um, just because we were probably the first white people to ever pass through those villages and they, they welcome the tourists and they welcome, they welcome anybody from outside. Um, so yeah, China and Kazakhstan were, and Uzbekistan were very good for, for generosity. People just give you food a lot. People do give you food a lot when you're traveling by bicycle. Um, it seems we weren't ever given we weren't given money we wouldn't have accepted money either um, but we did find 400 euros on the floor in <laughs> Turkey so that was that was kind a kind act of Turkey <laughs> and what's your funniest or favourite story from any of your travels the one that instantly comes to my mind is the first day we got to Georgia um, we met uh, a Spanish couple who were cycling from Indonesia back to Spain and we crossed the border into we just camped just outside the border about four kilometers outside the border in Azerbaijan usually when we get to the new country we sort the sim card out sort our money out so we've got the local currency and that 
Um, and we decided we'd heard so much about Georgia from cycle tourists going the other way and about how good the food is and how good the wine is. So we thought, we'll, we'll just stay in a cafe for lunch. We'll not cook ourselves. We'll not, we'll not prepare our own food. We'll just go to a cafe and try this Georgian food. So we went to this cafe at about midday after we got all sorted and had a glass of wine each and some nice food, good bread. Uh, and then a group of eight people came in, eight men came in, who it turned out were all from the same family later on. Um, and they were bringing their own wine in. It turned out also that the the lady behind the counter in the cafe was the daughter of one of these men. Um, so they were bringing their own wine in and they had like six litre bottles of homebrew wine and they had six of these bottles uh, so there was a lot of wine there and throughout the course of their meal they went out to get more bottles <laughs> and brought them back in um, and they they were playing music they had an accordion and a drum and they were playing singing local songs folk songs um, and they invited us to join them so we joined them at the table and they were again just offering out all their food to us and they kept standing up and toasting. Um, obviously in Georgian, we didn't understand a single word. And then they asked me to stand up and toast. So I stood up and, you know, in English, they didn't understand a single word. Um, I started just saying, thank you, you know, thank you very much. You're very kind, all this wine and food that you're offering us, it's great. We're going to enjoy your country. And then they asked the Spanish guy to, uh, to toast as well. Um, and he's a bit of a joker. He stood up and started in Spanish saying the recipe for um, for gazpacho soup, um, telling you how to cut the, the veg properly. And only me and his girlfriend and, and uh, the guy speaking obviously knew what he was saying. And everybody else around the table was looking very solemn as he gave this this recipe of soup in Spanish. But anyway, they, we all got really drunk. Um and it's probably about 3 p.m. by now. One person had fallen asleep in his plate of food, uh, like like in the cartoons. He had his face in his plate asleep. So they took us away from the table. Like maybe it was a bit shameful for him to show how drunk he was in front of these tourists. We started playing drinking games with them. And I'd say the average age of these people was probably about 50. Um, there was uh, another guy there that was about my age maybe 35 40 um but yeah the others were older and we were playing drinking games with them and dancing around with them and then one of them took me out to see the bicycles so i took the bike took him out showed him the bikes and ellie the my traveling partner ran back ran out to me and said gemma gemma is the spanish it's gemma and mario um gemma has just pierced a guy with her earring inside and I was like what the hell like are we gonna have to make a run for it was she disfiguring people in there it's like no no he asked her he asked her so we went in and he he was wearing his piercing um and he he motioned to us like stay here wait here I'll come back he went away and he came back with a needle and thread um a threaded needle and he started to push the needle in through his cheek and we were like what are you doing what are you doing me and Mario grabbed his arm. Arm, the Georgians are huge. This guy's arm was like my leg. Like they're massive people. Um, 
just big frames, big skeletons, very muscular, um, a lot of bread and a lot of wine. So, you know, big solid people. And we were never gonna stop him from putting this needle through his cheek. We're just not strong enough. And he pushed it all the way through. Um, and then with the needle halfway, half in and coming out through his mouth, he motioned to me to pull it through the rest oh. of the way. So I, I reached in, reached in with my index finger and thumb and pulled the needle through his cheek. <laughs> And then just freaked out. I just like, I can't, what, what, what have I just done? What is this? And he stood there. I, I remember his expression. I can see him in front of me right now. He stood there with the thread going in through his cheek and then coming out of his mouth with the threaded needle dangling, resting on his chin with an expression like, why are you freaking out? What, what, why are you, what's wrong with you? Like, all I've done is just put a needle through my cheek. And Ellie was like, you're fucking mental you're just crazy like i can't deal with this anymore um and we left and they gave us the wine they gave us some more wine and we were steaming by now <laughs> we meant to get get like 50 kilometers inside of georgia um but i think that whole day we 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 realized we couldn't cycle any further so we found an abandoned house just on the outside of the village we set our tents up inside that abandoned house and I think that was the, the, I know, that was the shortest day cycling we ever did. I think we covered six kilometers all day. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's it, the, the Georgia. The, that's how you're welcomed into the country. It just gets better from there. So you wrote all these blog posts about your traveling. Have you any plans to turn that into a book? It's an idea I've been toying with, actually, yeah. I wrote some, some little poems and prose as well. Um, so it's something that I have been thinking about. Although lots of people do write their memoirs of their story, so I think the book, the idea that I have is slightly different to just a diary. It would be more a book. We, we traveled through 21 countries on our way back home. So it would be more a book focusing on a particular aspect, each chapter focusing on a particular aspect of that country. So maybe a chapter about the geology of Malaysia um, and then a chapter about the forests of Thailand and you know about wine production in Georgia and about the Silk Road in Uzbekistan you know rather than about my journey it's about the journey of those countries that we traveled through and I would put some of my little illustrations and little poems in amongst this book but that's the idea I had. You'll have to tell me if it's podcast friendly or not. I've been told to ask you about Jerry the Mouse. God, how do you know about this? Did I tell you this? Who have you been interviewing? Chris? I said to Chris, I'm interviewing what shall I ask him? <laughs> oh God, old Jerry. I was talking about Jerry just last week, actually. <laughs> so this is um, back to our days in 475. 475 is the number of the house, the student house that we lived in. Um, 475 became more than a house, it became a way of life. So one day we found a dead mouse outside in the yard, um, in the backyard. Um, and our first idea, me, my brother and, uh, and another friend of ours, the first idea was we need to preserve this. We need to go to Asda, buy some vinegar and pickle it. <laughs> So we did, we bought, bought some white vinegar from Asda, 
um, and we came back and we put it in a jar and left it on the fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> And it was really cool, actually, because over time it started to decay. Obviously, it wasn't proper scientific pickling vinegar that we'd got. It was just white distilled chip vinegar. Um, and it started to decay inside the jar. And you could see, like, like all the skin and the fur fell off of, its, off of one of its paws. And you could see the, the skeletal structure of it. And then started to fall off the tail. So you could see the, the vertebrae of the tail. It was really quite 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 interesting so at one of these parties one of these crazy parties that, that I was talking about before a few of uh, our friends and my brother and myself were were playing cocktail waiters um, we were all uh, some jugglers and we were playing cocktail waiting so we were throwing this jar we had this jar with Jerry the mouse in it throwing it catching it behind our backs throwing it between our legs and throwing it to each other and then doing little tricks around like bar flare style tricks and then one of our friends said, what the hell is that? Oh God, guys, you've got to stop. And we stopped and looked at the jar and it, was, it wasn't it was a mouse anymore. It was just a brown solution <laughs> inside, inside the jar. Um, and yeah, that's the last I remembered of Jerry that night. But we woke in the morning to find the jar with no lid on anymore um, in the sink underneath all the washing up from the night before. <laughs> it's the story of Jerry. Right, well, thank you for talking to me. That's the end of my questions. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I don't know, normally I play out some music, but you're not really musicians. <laughs> uh, what have we got? There's an ocarina there, I think. <laughs> I've never played it. Do your tune if you want. <laughs> you're not